Our text for today comes from the book of Ruth, chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. And you can follow along on page 7 in your bulletin. During the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. A man with his wife and two sons went from Bethlehem of Judah to dwell in the territory of Moab. The name of that man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. And the name of his two sons were Mahon and Chilon. They were Ephraimites from Bethlehem in Judah. They entered the territory of Moab and settled there. But Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. Then only she was left along with her two sons. They took wives for themselves, Moabite women. The name of the first was Orpah, and the name of the second was Ruth. And they lived there for about ten years. But both of the sons, Mahon and Chilon, also died. Only the woman was left without her two children and without her husband. Then she rose along with her daughters-in-law to return to the field of, from the field of Moab, because while the territory of Moab, she had heard that the Lord had paid attention to his people by providing food for them. She left the place where she had been, and her two daughters-in-law went with her. They went along the road to return to the land of Judah. Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go, turn back, each of you, to the household of your mother. May the Lord deal faithfully with you, just as the Lord has done with the dead and with me. May the Lord provide for you, so that you may find security. Each woman, each woman in the household of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. But they replied to her, No. We will return with you to your people. Naomi replied, Turn back, my daughters. Why would you go with me? Will there again be sons in my womb for that they will be husbands for you? Turn back, my daughters. Go, I am too old for a husband. If I were to say that I have hope, even if I had a husband tonight, and even more, if I were to bear sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you refrain from having a husband? No, my daughters. This is more bitter for me than for you, since the Lord will has come out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth stayed with her. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law is returning to her people and to her gods. Turn back after your sister-in-law. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to abandon you to turn back from following you. Wherever you will go, I will go. Wherever you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do this to me, and more so, if even the death separates me from you. This is the word of God for all the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. There has been a story that has caught the attention, or at least has been on fire in social media this past week. It involves Ellen DeGeneres, the comedian who has a very popular talk show. She got into a bit of trouble recently 
because of a picture. She was at Cowboys Stadium to watch the Dallas Cowboys play next to the Green Bay Packers. Now, what was wrong with the picture, besides the fact that she was cheering for the Green Bay Packers, was who she was sitting next to. She sat next to the 43rd President of the United States, George Bush. And people were upset. They were upset because of the former president's role in the Iraq War. They were upset and shocked because Ellen, who of course is an openly lesbian woman in a marriage with another woman, sitting next to someone whose support was at that time banning same-sex marriage at the state and federal level. People were just plain mad. So Ellen takes to the air to explain why she decided to sit at a football game with what some people have considered a war criminal. And this is what she says. Here's the thing, I'm friends with George Bush. In fact, I'm friends with a lot of people. We don't share the same beliefs that I have. We are all different. And I think we've forgotten that's okay, that we're all different. For instance, I wish people wouldn't wear fur. I don't like it, but I'm friends with people who wear fur. But just because I don't agree with something, someone on everything doesn't mean that I'm not going to be friends with them. When I say be kind to one another, I don't mean only the people that think the same way you do. I mean be kind to everyone. I read that, or heard about that, and she has, it's been passed along again in social media. And it was interesting, the response. And the response was not always in favor of what Ellen did. One example that I found interesting was one written by a writer, Constance Grady, for the online magazine Vox. She wanted to make sure and to put out about the point that while it may make sense to be kind to people who are between each other who are powerless, people who are powerful, such as the former president, that's a different story. And this is what she wrote. This wholesomeness is aspirational. It is both optimistic and comforting. It's about celebrating the small moments of kindness that act as a bomb, a refuge for normal people without power as we all try to survive the apocalyptic scourge of what those in power are doing to the rest of us. Behaving in a way that either contributes to or neglects to show enough concerns for the melting of the polar ice caps, the rise in hate crimes, or the collapse of civil rights. But the niceness that Ellen DeGeneres is so celebrating in her friendship with George W. Bush, the niceness that she extraordinarily skilled at performing is not about kindness for the powerless. It's about kindness for the powerful, for the people who help set in place the problems the rest of us are currently living in. It's about avoiding the messy social confrontations and awkwardness by being nice to those who have made the world a worse place. So is kindness basically niceness? Does kindness basically serve to justify or obscure oppression? In a time when 
we are so divided as a nation when there is this, what people have called an epidemic of loneliness in our society. Are there times that we can't be kind? The book of Ruth is a very short book. It's only four chapters. But there is a lot in those four chapters. It looms very large in biblical literature. Most people agree that this book was written after the rule of King David. But what's interesting is that some scholars think it was written after the time of the people of Israel coming back from their time in exile. And why that's interesting is because there were two other books that were written at that time, Ezra and Nehemiah. Now, those two books fixated on the fact of the faithfulness of the people. And one of the things that they, that they thought kind of made their faith, the faith in God weak, was that these people, the Israelite men, had took foreign wives and started to worship those foreign gods. So they were pushing for Israelites to walk away from those foreign wives, including their children, which some men actually did. Some scholars believe that Ruth, in some ways, was a counter-argument, where we see a foreigner, in this case, a foreign woman, who Ruth, who is actually welcomed into Israelite society and becomes a faithful follower. And the interesting thing here in Ruth, and especially in this first chapter, we're introduced to all of these different people. We hear hear about Naomi, we hear about Elimelech, we hear about Bethlehem. And all of these names have meaning that are directly tied to this story. So Naomi and her husband live in Bethlehem. Bethlehem, translated from the Hebrew, means house of bread. So, of course, there's an irony here because this is a town named about bread, and there's no bread, so they have to leave. Naomi, Elimelech's name basically means my God is king. Naomi's name is pleasantness. And then the children, and you got to wonder about Ruth and Elimelech, I mean, about Naomi and Elimelech's naming of their kids, because that was kind of interesting. Mahalan means weakness, sickness, and then Chilion is annihilation and consumption. Those meanings probably make sense because, of course, they die. They take wives and then they die, leaving no children. And then we go to the final two women, the Moabite women. The first uh, is Orpha, and her name means nape of the neck. And then th that basically signifies the fact that even though she wanted to go with Naomi, Naomi urges her to go back, and she goes back to her people. And then we come to Ruth. Ruth's name is very interesting. It can mean friend, it can mean companion, and it can mean kindness. Ruth's name means kindness. And that's important. It's important for us today because we do not live 
in times that are kind. We live in a time that according to some reports, a president thought it was a good idea to shoot immigrants in the legs. We live in a time when we are fearful enough that someone drives nine hours to go shoot people simply because of their ethnicity. These are the times that we live in and they are not kind. But the thing is, is that Ruth's world was not any better. There was famine in Israel. That's where the passage talks about. And it even opens in that first chapter of Ruth to say that it was a time when the judges ruled. This was a time before the kings, and it was a very chaotic time in the life of Israel. So you can understand that this kind of upheaval was also a very, sometimes not very kind period. And then Naomi has to face the loss of her husband and then the loss of her sons. And it was incredibly, life was incredibly unkind to women in this society because husbands were basically their social security, their welfare. It was something that was how they were able to live. And now all of that was taken away from Naomi and from Ruth and from Orpah. They all had to face a very harsh world that was not kind. But the thing is, is that they had each other. Ruth and Orpah, both of them wanted to go with Naomi. They probably saw her as an elderly woman and they saw that she was vulnerable and they wanted to protect and to care for her. But Naomi cares for her daughters-in-law as well. She knows that they are foreign women. She knows that life would be difficult for them. They would have a better life in Moab than they would in Israel. So here in the midst of this very unkind world, they showed kindness to each other. And that kindness went across barriers, across boundaries. They may have not had much they definitely no longer had husbands that could provide for them, but they had room in their heart for each other, and that was enough. There is a verse, the verse eight word in verse eight that sums up what this word is all, this book is all about. In verse eight, where it says the phrase, and, and the version that we read is from the Common English Bible. It says here, may, the, may God deal faithfully with you. That's kind of what it means, but it's not really the most direct translation. In the New Revised Standard Version, it says, may the Lord deal kindly with you. And that key, that's the key word, kindly. The word in Hebrew that keeps coming up in Ruth that is related to the word kindly is hesed, loving kindness. It is translated as kindness or loyalty, that God here in this text might seem rather silent. We don't hear about God at all, but God is present. God is active through this hesed, through this loving kindness, 
through the actions of people. The people, all of these people, both Ruth and Naomi, believed and hoped in a God that could be kind. And in response, they showed kindness or hesed to each other. As I've said, today, we do not live in a society that is kind. In fact, kindness is looked on in some ways as weakness. People get upset when, they are sh- when kindness is shown because we seem to be so focused on issues of so whatever type of justice we believe in, and I can understand that. I can understand that sometimes we can want to be focused on making up that we don't really take care of the issues that are at hand. But the thing is, in this passage, it's kindness that ends up to save Naomi and Ruth. It is kindness that is shown when they go back to their home, to the home of Bethlehem, and when they are able to support themselves by gleaning in the fields. It is kindness that is shown when the owner of that field, Boaz, is sees Ruth, and in the end, at the end of the book, they are married. And then through that kindness, we see that several, a few generations later, a child comes who becomes king of Israel, David. And all of that happened. There would be no David if it weren't for the kindness that was shown and the kindness that God worked through these people and for people who allowed themselves for, to, be work, to have God work in them and to extend that kindness. Sometimes in life, we are called to walk with people. Naomi had hoped God would show kindness to Ruth and to Orpah, even though she didn't think that God was being kind to her. What she didn't realize is that God was dealing with her with kindness. Naomi was walking with someone whose name literally meant kindness. Our actions of kindness, our walking with people in life, are ways that God works. And sometimes we are called to walk with people that we may not always agree with, not because we want to forget whatever things that make us disagree with them, but because they are children of God and we want to walk together. There are those today that are worried that kindness obscures the need for justice. And we sometimes are so wanting justice that we escape and forget what it means to be kind. This is why people are so upset about Ellen DeGeneres sitting with George W. Bush. This is why some people were critical with Botham John's brother hugging Amber Geiger, the woman who murdered her brother after she was sentenced. But the thing is, justice and kindness are not mutually exclusive. As Christians, we are called to be a just people 
called as in Mike, as it, the, the prophet Micah says, to do justice. But what's the phrase after that? And love, kindness. Both are what we are called to do. Archbishop Desmond Tutu, as we've been talking about, believes in this concept of Ubuntu. I am because you are. And he believed that this belief could overthrow the racial system of apartheid. And the question that could come up is how in the world could treating the oppressor with kindness to see them as children of God make any difference? How could it bring down a system that had caused so much suffering among black South Africans? But Tutu saw that the destinies of both the oppressor and the oppressed were bound together. They were not separate. We were stuck with each other. And he says, they belong with us in the family of God, and their humanity is caught up in our humanity, as ours is caught up in ours, in theirs, sorry. Naomi had lost everything. She had lost her husband. She had lost her two sons. She lost her security. There was no justice in this. There was no kindness in this. But she still had love for her daughter-in-law, Ruth. She had the love of God, and she, even, that, even though it was silent, never left her. As I said, we live in a time when we are pitted against each other, when we are disconnected, where we are incredibly lonely. Creation groans for justice, but it also groans for kindness as well. In a world when this seems so harsh, when it seems so unforgiving, when it seems so ungrateful, can we as children of God be called not just to pursue justice, but also to do it with kindness? Can we walk with people, people that we may not agree with, and show them kindness, even if it's not deserved, and even actually because sometimes it is not deserved. On Facebook this morning, there is an interesting photo, and I'm sure you've heard of the massive snowstorms in the western part of the state and into the Dakotas. And it is a picture of a street scene. And it's a scene in Bismarck, and it shows inches upon inches of snow all over the place. Bismarck is an interesting place because 50 years ago, this is the 50th anniversary of what some of you might be aware of as crop walks, walks that people do to raise awareness and money for hunger organizations to fight hunger. It started in Bismarck. That was the first community that did a crop walk. And this came out from the local organizing committee. So of course, there's snow everywhere. I don't know about you, but I would not really want to go out and walk in a lot of snow. But the Post said that it had been 50 years from that first walk held in Bismarck. And the local committee said, we are still going to do the walk. So somewhere this morning or this afternoon, there are people who are walking, or maybe more trudging, in the snow, 
to raise money to fight hunger. That should be an allegory for what God is calling us to do. Being kind is not easy. Being kind can be difficult in a world where we may disagree with one another. But it is still what we are called to do. And so may God give us the strength to walk with people, even with people we don't want to walk with. May we be Ruth to those Naomi's and to the Georges of this world. Thanks be to God. Amen.